You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Amen. <clears throat> Good morning. So, uh, yes, I, I am now Pastor Jeff. Uh, so, those of you who know me, I am Pastor Paul. I'm a youth pastor. I'm usually on that far side. Hey, everybody. I'm usually on that far side of the building with all the awesome teenagers that we have here. Um, but uh, Pastor Jeff is off on vacation. Right now he is hiking as we speak somewhere like Blue Ridge or, or Appalachian, Smoky. He's somewhere, but he's a compass. He'll make his way back here uh, next Sunday, okay? So, he is not lost. We know where he's at. Um, he may be lost, but he'll, he'll, he'll make his way back here next Sunday. Um, yeah, so uh, he asked me if I could cover for him uh, so he can, he can get that little trip in. Um, and I was like, yes, I, I, will, I will preach for you this Sunday. Uh, where are we at? Uh, he was like, well, either uh, you can uh, teach something you've been teaching in the youth group, which I've been teaching through Colossians. Like, either you can do that or and give it that little like, or you can continue on in Genesis for me. And we're in chapter 6 of Genesis. I was like... I don't like that smirk on your face, man, but I'll do it, okay? You're, you're, calling, you're calling me out. Um, I, I, will, I will preach in Genesis. So we are going to be in chapter 6 of Genesis, uh, and we're going to cover the, the whole chapter there. So if you open up to Genesis 6, I'm going to start off by reading just the, the, the first part of it here. So starting off in verse 1. <clears throat> when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of the old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will, blot man, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for allowing us to be into your word. Uh, Father God, I pray that you do speak through your word, speak through this message, Father God, and allow your spirit to be moving and help the, the hearts and ears be open to your truth. Praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, to kind of set this, uh, this, this message up in this, this scripture, um, I, I thought of an illustration. Uh, I've used it with the, the students before, so they, they probably, they probably uh, remember this if they listen to me. Uh, they, they probably remember this. Uh, I'm a fan of a guy named Matt Walsh, okay? Matt Walsh is a, is a cultural commentator, um, and he, is also, he also writes books. And he wrote a book about three to four years ago, and the title of the book is called Church of Cowards. Okay, the title is called Church of Cowards. Now, uh, the introduction, uh, he has his opening statement, then he has an illustration. The opening statement, he says this, There are still some Christians in this country who worry that heathen hordes may one day arrive on our shores armed with guns and knives and bombs to crush our Christian way of life and destroy the American church. They flatter themselves. 
Uh, that, that, that's kind of like a little like stepping on toes opening statement. Well, here is the uh, kind of opening illustration he gives to his book and the, kind of the whole idea. He says, imagine with me that there is a, a, a group of kind of like the, the kind of big heathen kind of horde of people who believe in other religion or other kind of gods and things, and they want to come over to our area over here. They want to come over to America, and they want to find a group of Christ-following Christians uh, and, and martyr them, make an example of them. Well, we know they're, they're kind of shocked when they, when, they, when they leave their area and they, they've heard what to expect of Christ's followers. They come over here and, and man, aren't, aren't they shocked of what they find? They find plenty of places promoting, let's say, sexual perver- uh, per, uh, perversion, uh, you know, uh, parades and applauding, um, pornography being a multi-billion dollar industry, or uh, how about the killing of unborn babies willingly and without care? I mean, what happened to the supposed 240 million Christians in America? 240 people who claim to follow Christ, what happened to them? Did they just disappear? So this group, they go into an investigation. They're like, okay, well, let's, let's try to find places maybe they are like maybe secretly gathering. Maybe, maybe they're, they're gathering to learn uh, about Jesus and about, about their God. So they find the first building. And this first building is led by well, what we call the young, skinny, the young skinny jeans v-neck pastor. Okay, This young skinny jeans v-neck pastor, what he's preaching, he speaks about God in vague and general terms. Right? No, no judgment in this God, right? God, God just sits back and, and is waiting and watching, waiting for his children to come into his glory, come into heaven, which they're all entitled to receive at the end of their lives. They're like, well, this, this doesn't add up to what we've heard about the, you know, Christ's followers and, and what they stand for and, and, and kind of the, the sacrifice it takes. So let, let's, let's go on to the next place. They find a, a massive kind of building, you know, one that kind of like almost a stadium. And this one's led by a smiley fancy suit pastor. Okay, smiley fancy suit pastor. And what he preaches is a hollow message. It's engaging, but it's hollow. Believe in God and you'll be blessed with wealth and good health, right? Nothing about sin, repentance, holiness, or obedience. Nothing. Like, well, this doesn't feel right. Let's grab our Starbucks in the, in the lobby and head out, okay? So then they, they, they head out and they're like, this doesn't feel, feel right. They're, kinda, they're getting a little more frustrated. They're like, okay, well, here's, here's a building that kind of looks like a church. There's some kind of weird flags hanging outside of it. And, and they walk in. This one's led by what's known as non-binary rainbow flag priestess. And what, what, is, what, what they preach, what they do, is they are affirming of all gender decisions. God is non-binary. The Bible doesn't apply to us today. Be who you want to be. And they're like, well, this, this does not ring to what we know about what, what people say that, that means to follow Jesus. So these are not people that, that, we, that, we, that we can take and make examples of. Let's go on to the next building. They, they found this next place of worship. And it's led by Teamwork, Tolerance is Love Pastor. You know, lengthy words, rambling, doesn't address anything deep or challenge the way people are living in the world of culture, going through the motions of the, the tradition of communion and the, the different, like, you know, eating the bread, drinking the juice, all that kind of stuff, just going through the motions. No one could really care less of what it actually means. And so this, this group of, this, this group of uh, kind of the, the, the heathen religion horde people, they, they're, 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 they're getting kind of upset. They're like, hey, so what should we do? All right, well, let's go back. They go back to each of these places of worship, and they take, they take the spiritual leaders. They, 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 they take all the, the pastoral leaders, and they get them all together. And, and they say this, we want to martyr Christians, 
but it looks like we have to settle with you lot. We demand that you abandon your Christian God and worship our gods. Renounce your faith or die where you stand. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. You know, all, all faiths are equal. We're tolerant of all viewpoints. We'll, we'll gladly worship your gods and our God, okay? Nobody's beliefs are wrong or right. Nobody can lay claim to absolute truth. So the, the leader of this group is like, all right, well, let, me, let me narrow it down, okay? You must renounce your belief that the man you call Jesus Christ is God. Renounce that. Well, the leaders looking at each other. Well, God made Jesus. Jesus is God's son or, or something. Right? That's, that's the basic idea, right? I think, right? Yeah, I mean, he's not God, God, right? Right? right. This is in the Middle Ages, after all. This is today's time. So the leader is just getting frustrated. He keeps just, he keeps just trying to narrow it down. Okay, renounce religion. Renounce the Bible as truth. Religion. <laughs> That is such an old and outdated term. It's all about relationships now. There are, there are many out, outmoded and, frankly, archaic things in the Bible. All the stuff about hell, for instance, you can't believe that kind of stuff. We can't judge. We must never judge. Hmm. Well, the head heathen, he, he looks down in despair. I mean, he, he is giving up hope. Right? But just then, one person, one person in a hundred steps up out of the crowd and with a resolute voice, says this, I believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the authority of Scripture. I believe in the teachings that Christianity has professed for 2,000 years. I believe in the necessity of repentance and obedience in the saving work of Christ on the cross. I believe that I must carry my cross as Christ carried his. I believe that only Christianity is true. I believe, that the only, I believe that only through Christ does one enter eternal life. I believe that the Christian life is something distinct and visible, and that if I'm not living in a distinct and visible way, then I'm not living it at all. I believe. Amen. Now, that, that, that one in a hundred, that, that's powerful. That one out of a hundred says that. But this other group of pastors, leaders, they get, they get a little uh, heated. They, 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 they get a little angry. This man is not one of us. He's, he's no Christian. Right? He's, he's a fundamentalist whack job. He doesn't, he doesn't speak for the rest of us. He's a bigot. He's intolerant. He's closed-minded. He's homophobic. He's transphobic. He's xenophobic. Crucify him, not us. Kill him. He's, he's not, he, we're, we're willing to, to say we believe what you believe. Kill him, not us. So the leader of this, of this heathen horde steps back and says, there's no reason to kill this man. He is but one voice in a hundred drowned out by the 99. See, they were not able to crush our Christian way of life because we don't have a Christian way of life. They unsheathed their swords only to discover that what they had come to kill was already dead. They had traveled all the way to persecute a corpse. And that's him talking about the American church. Talking about us here today, that what, what the outside world sees and what they hear about how we stand for Jesus Christ, we stand for his truth, and they come over here and they are shocked. Because, yeah, no, we're not living like it. 
Our culture and our world around us does not speak to what that one man said that he stood for and what he believed. I, this, this is where we are today as a nation. One, a nation that we are said that we are founded on God, founded on our faith in God. That's what the, the, out, the outside world sees when they look at us, but, that, but truthfully, you tear away the curtain, we are broken, divided, and we are spiritually dead. Isn't that scary and disturbing to think that we are not far off? It's not on the same level as, like, let's say, uh, examples like Sodom and Gomorrah or possibly like uh, the world of man that is deserving of the wrath of destruction of God, which we're going to talk about today. We're not far from it. That's not right there. So let's read this text and let's see what it has to say for us today um, as we jump into it and we, div- and we dive into it. Verse 1 says this, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. They took as their wives any they chose. So first we've got to know that things escalate very quickly. Things have escalated very quickly. Like, because we're only in chapter 6 of Genesis. We've seen the creation. We've seen Adam and Eve. We've seen them sin. We've seen them be kicked out of the garden. We see what God still provide. We see their children. We see the first murder. Uh, we see the, as Pastor Jeff talked about last week, the lines of the ones of, of Seth and the one the lines of Cain, right? But man, things have gotten bad. Right? Just last week in the, in the lines of Cain, things about how, how someone has murdered somebody else and they, they write poetry and poems about it. Right, but then over, over here, we, we have some people believing in God. Mm. But instead of people of God influence the people of Cain, doing whatever they want, things have kind of went the opposite direction. All right, so first to establish a few things. One, there are some things said in the Old Testament, some terms that are used that the people that was written to, that Moses was writing to thousands of years ago, they would probably understand very quickly who he's talking about and who he's referencing. Us today, we have what the Bible says and we have what the, the original translations say. So be careful what's been taught so far to you throughout your years of you saying this is exactly what it says and this is what, exactly what it means, okay? Because the first ones we, we got to talk about here, it says, daughters of men and sons of God. And then when we get to verse 4, it talks about Nephilim. That's a, that's a fun subject. Okay, so you got to understand what it's talking about. Okay? John Walton said this. He says, our ability to fill in the, the details of the story is limited. As is usually the case, the narrator has only given as much as we need to see the point he is trying to establish. Okay? So we're given what we need to understand the point of what is trying to be said. So here's some different, here's some different viewpoints um, that I want, I want to lay out to you, okay? So the race of men was expanding and falling into the same sin trap that Satan, that Satan laid for Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they're in God's grace, they're in God's goodness in his garden. God said, don't eat of that, that, that tree over there. And what, you know what, man, that fruit, that looks, that looks great. That looks good to eat. That looks amazing. I want to try that. Well, it says, when it began to multiply, they saw, the sons of God saw the daughters of man that they were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Man, something, 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 something looks very shiny, looks very appetizing, looks, looks great, looks like a good, quick kind of, of joy and fulfillment. I'm going to take that and I'm going I'm to take part in whatever it is. I mean, usually whenever that happens, doesn't it not feel so good afterwards? 
So here's some different views of what we talk, we're talking about the uh, daughters of men and sons of God. So the original translation thought, okay? So, so you, have this, you have this one original thought for many, many years, okay? That the sons of God were angels. And where do they get that from? They get it from three other uses of the Hebrew term in Job. And in Job, he is referencing angels. So the original thought was like, hey, it says this, and then all this over here, way back here, in the New, in the, uh, way past here in the Old Testament, it says three other times it's, re- it's referencing angels. Okay, so this has to be angels. And they, they give birth to the Nephilim, which Nephilim literally means giants or fallen ones. Okay? But then some, things, some thoughts started happening, some, some people started questioning, is this really what it means? Is, is this angels coming down and having relationships with, with human women and giving birth to children? Okay, well, let's think here. Uh, it splits off. You have the Christian thought, then you have the Jewish thought, okay? So the Jewish translation thought is that these sons of gods were rulers or higher-ups, right, that were almost seen as godlike. Because right? you, you have this sense of, of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and, and Seth and all of them afterwards. They don't have a lot of uh, things ruining their kind of bloodline, right? They're, you know, they're, they're, they're still very much fresh kind of from that air, from that, from that kind of garden state. So they haven't had a lot of things like disease and sicknesses and things like that corrupt their DNA and different things like that. So you can have these people that are born that are very big, stout warriors. And what you know, if you're big and stout and you're a warrior and you're great at fighting, you're going to be put in charge and you're going to see as, a, as you see as a ruler and if you can defeat lots of people, you're, you're probably seen as more godlike. The Jewish translation thought, they think that these kind of people are the ones uh, known as the sons of God because they're again, they think that that's like more like they're more close to God-like. They come down and they have the, the daughters of men. Well, the Christian translation thought is that the sons of God were from the line of Seth and the daughters of men were from the line of Cain. All right? The sons of God, those are from the line of Seth, right? They're the ones known for following God and sticking with God and, and listening to him and being obedient. Then you have the, the daughters of men were from the line of Cain, right? From the line of the murderer, right? A line of the one who does not want to, to follow in his ways, right? You have, you have these two lines. You have the line of Seth, and they're like, yeah, we're doing good, we're doing good. Whoa. Those daughters of men over there, that line of Cain, they look, they look pretty nice. So instead of being over here and saying... <laughs> I'm going to be an example for God. I'm going to be an example for who he is and help them see their need for God and come over here. We're like, we're going to go over there to the, to the daughters of men, the line of Cain, and we're going to take whoever looks good as our wives and we're going to you know, have children and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And gonna, that, that gives birth to the, to the Nephilim and more sinful corruption. Well, we're not, we will not get a clear-cut answer Okay, I'm not going to stop here and give you a clear-cut answer. This is the right one. This is the wrong one. I just have right here what it says. It says, sons of men, daughters, uh, sorry, sons of God, daughters of men, uh, and then the Nephilim and different translations say giants were among the people. All right, that, that's, that's what I have, okay? I'm not going to get a clear-cut, precise answer until I'm in the presence of my Heavenly Father uh, uh, up in heaven, Okay? And, that, and that's if I come to him in his glory and his majesty and the amazingness of heaven and I still have my little list of questions that don't matter anymore. If, if, I, if I want to ask him, maybe. But I'm like, it, it, it doesn't matter because it doesn't affect my salvation in the least bit. Amen. So by then we won't care. The point that we're trying to get here from Moses is that people are being sinful. They're taking whatever that was pleasing to their eyes 
like the men seeing the women as attractive and taking any that they chose, right? very similar to the idea of, of them. They had, they had rampant gluttony, polygamy, adultery, murder, theft, debauchery, idolatry, things that we still see today many, many generations later that are bringing down our society and our culture. Just like that. But then God, God flips the hourglass, right? He says, your time is coming to an end. He says this in verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So God had given time for many to get back on track and rely on him and worship him as their God and Father, right? As, as Jeff talked about last week, there, there's that whole generation of, of people, and they, they live many, many, many years so they had many, many years and centuries to believe and get back on track with God, yet they didn't. Our God is a loving and patient God, but there is an end to that time of patience. Only he knows when it will come. He said it here, like right here was one of the first times we have an actual like, time frame. He says, it is set for 120 years before man will be wiped out. Okay? So we, so we, so we have that. So Man, they're growing, they're multiplying, they're doing more and more evil, heathenistic, terrible, awful things, turning away from God. God says, okay, you've had all this time, I'm done, okay? You have 120 years. So then we have verse 4 that jumps in there. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, so you have, there, there are mighty warriors, right, who, who, thought, who thought they were big and bad, but they couldn't survive the coming judgment either. And they're going to, the little translation of Nephilim is giant or fallen one. Okay, so maybe, maybe they were the spawn of fallen angels with, with human women. Okay? Maybe angels had babies with human women. Maybe it was Satan's plan to try to corrupt the line of the promised Messiah. Right? How it's been promised that his head's going to be crushed by the Messiah. He'll be destroyed, put, the, put, the, put to the end. So Satan doesn't want that. He's just trying to throw a wrench in that machine all right, and, and try and mess it up. But the problems with the theory of um, the fallen angels or the demons or whatever having babies with, with human women, why would fallen angels or demons have children with human women? What would be the point of that? The Bible never tells us that they're even capable or even incompatible of having offspring with humans. I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear about angelic beings or things in the Bible, they look pretty terrifying and scary. Uh, so uh, I'd be pretty terrified of, like, of seeing like, if a Nephilim was actually a child of an angel or fallen demon with a human. I don't know. Nothing in this text is expressively telling, telling us that the sons of man were, or sorry, sons of God were angels. Nothing expressively, specifically tells us that. But maybe, maybe another view of the Nephilim is the statement, um, the, the New King James Version says this, there were giants on the earth in those days. So under so the term Nephilim, they use the original translation, which means like giants or, or fallen ones. They say giants were on the earth in those days. And there again, remember genetically, humanity was still near pristine condition, right? This theory takes the view that these sons of God were simply men. And, and this would uh, explain why they were giants before the flood, and after the flood, because, you know, Goliath comes after, after Noah, okay? So I'm just helping help out here. Put, put, put them together, okay? So, so, you, so you have them before the flood and after the flood, okay? Because that genetic material 
survives through Noah and now his bloodline. Okay? So the fact that Nephilim were still around um, sporadically after the flood is an indicator that giants like Goliath were exceptional, but they're not superhuman. Okay? They're, they were not superhuman. But now as we read this there again, remember the, the whole point is that, that we see man falling more into sinful corruption and their hearts, that's all it shows, that's all it is, is sinful corruption and there's no light in their hearts looking towards God. Not at all. They're, they're choosing to live the way they want, they want to live and they're loving it and they're saying, hey, I don't need God. So when you get to the Nephilim and you get to all this, this angel stuff that people will try and tell you over the years and you read different commentators on what they believe and different things, I, I love what this one guy said. It is best to not be dogmatic on an issue the Bible says so little about that is not theologically significant in the grand scheme of things. People will try and bring up different conversations. Oh, uh, you know, was this angels? Was these, these things? And I mean, it's, it's hard for me to believe that. Well, why do you care? Does, does this mess up your salvation? Does this mess up the, the overall story of salvation from creation to the fall to redemption to restoration? Does this at all, does this little point right here, does this, this one little verse 4 in chapter 6 of Genesis mess up your entire view of your salvation? <laughs> no. If it does, if it's a hang-up for you, I'll say there's a deeper problem, there's a deeper thing that you're, that you're not believing. And I'll say that's the whole re- the life, death, life death, res- resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a hang-up for you if you're using this one little thing as a hang-up. So I'd be, I'd be, be careful. When you come across these things, is it, is it affecting your salvation? No. Then why do we argue and fight over it? So the big picture from this section is that things were bad and only getting worse. Right? Only getting worse. A lot like today. When you look out the window, when you turn on the news app, when you turn on the, the news station, right? Sin, debauchery, it's going to be running rampant. And the world couldn't care less. They couldn't care less about it changing or getting better, right? You, you, have, you have churches now that are more, are more focused on, let's say, um, blessing your, your, your pet as, as like, your, your, like, yes, like, like God has ordained you to have, have that pet. Or, or they're more, they're more uh, insistent upon, uh, you know, affirming, uh, you know, the, the whole, like, changing of LGBTQ, like, like you decide what you're going to be. Yes, great. God, God, is, God doesn't care. God, God is not binary. God, God wants to be who you want to be, and we affirm and we bless that. Instead of standing for the truth of the Scripture, instead of standing for the truth of the Gospel, right? all, all of our hopes are into a political leader to bring the, the needed balance or change. Right, instead of putting our faith and hope in the Holy Father who holds all things in his hands. Or, or being more interested in lunch or what's coming after this sermon. Instead of saying, hey, I'm, I'm here to fall at the feet of Jesus because I need to every day come before him and say, I am sorry because I am still falling to my sinful flesh and I still need to come to you and say, I don't need to do better. All right, we are in the days very similar to this right now. Even Jesus, to his followers, said this in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being, being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Up until the day the flood came, the door shut them out. They're living the way they want to live, refusing to follow God. 
And we're, we're very much in that right now. But the question is, the question is, are we looking at a possible, uh, let's say, great, another great awakening in our nation? Another great movement of the Holy Spirit? Another great movement of, of Jesus across our nation? And people seeing their need for salvation, their need to repent, their need to change the way they're living, to change the way that they're seeing things, and actually look at through the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are we looking at punishment from God coming up upon our nation like he's about to bring to the man here? in Genesis. Because here, we're, we're going to go to the, 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 the correction that has come into balance, right? There, there, there's got to be a balance that, that comes, and God's going to bring that, that correction to bring that balance. It says this, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So here, you know that the Lord, the Lord regretted that he had made man and it, it grieved him. This is an area that where people misunderstand what is, what's happening and it's been uh, kind of mistakenly kind of taught over the years in church. It's been taught that God was having second thoughts on his creation. Right, that, that this is evidence that God, that God makes mistakes, that he, that he has to start over again, right? That, that he makes mistakes that need to be fixed. That is incredibly, that's incredibly wrong. Okay, God is not man. He's the creator of the universe, right? Uh, there's no sin that can uh, exist in his presence or, or in him. He speaks and life happens. He does not make mistakes. Right, the, the word regret here in this passage, when used of God, regret kind of incorporates the thought of compassionate grief and an action needed to be taken. The same Hebrew word is used when, when you hear, when you, when you read that he, has, that he has regret or that he is sorry. It's the same Hebrew word. It's that, it's that compassionate grief and the fact that there's needed an action taken to, to help that compassionate grief. God was not showing weakness, He was not admitting error. He was not regretting a mistake. He was expressing his need to be to take a specific, drastic action to counteract the wickedness of man. Okay, God, God's never made a mistake. He's had a purpose in everything, and the outcomes, the outcomes of all things, do not surprise him. He's an all-knowing, all-powerful. He does not make mistakes, and when things, when things happen, like uh, Adam and Eve turning to the fruit, uh, like Cain killing, uh, Cain killing Abel, when you have the sons of man here, or the sons of God here turning to the, to the daughters of men and being more wicked, it does not surprise God. But yet, balance has to be brought back into order. Because there again, he's a loving God, he's a patient God, but with love comes discipline. Get the attention so he has decided to blot out and erase and wipe the slate clean of man who was nothing but sin in their hearts. God was bringing his, like, his cosmic ledger back into balance. Right? That, that, that there's been so much sin, so much darkness, so much hatred, so much things happening over here. That they're, 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 way, they're way in the, the, the red over here. So he says, hey, I've had some kind of quick action to come and pay off that, that red and bring it back into balance and bring it back to where it needs to be. And, and we've seen this different times throughout Scripture. We've seen this many times, right? When, when God declares punishment, uh, it comes at times 
to be counterbalanced by an act of grace that revokes that punishment. Right, the, the whole idea of, like, let's say when, when Moses went up the mountain and came back down uh, and his people were worshiping a golden calf again, and God's like, Moses, I'm going to wipe out all these people right here. I'm going to start again with, with my people, the, the Israelites. The, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you. But no, what, what, what does he do? Moses gets down on his knees and he prays, Father, no, please, be more patient with them. We can come back into your righteous glory. We can come back and be brought back into your glory, be made right again. And God relents. How about the people of, of Nineveh? The simple people, the terrible people. God says, I'm going to destroy you. He sends Jonah to go and be the one who, who brings the message to them. And says, hey, repent. I mean, there's a whole other thing where, where he goes the opposite direction and, and he has to go through his whole spiritual journey and that whole mess. But eventually, he gets there. He delivers the most shortest evangelical statement ever. Or, you know, the, you know, repent, turn back, or be destroyed. Drop mic, walk away. And yet, from that, the Spirit of God used it to reach the hearts of the king, reach the hearts of the people, and they all repented from their sinful ways. And they remorsed. They even wanted to, they wanted to believe in the God of this Jonah. And they did. And God relented from the punishment. So whenever this happens, whenever a punishment's coming and God relents, it's not him changing his mind. It's not him uh, fixing a mistake in his mind. No, it's because God desires it to be that way. Right? When he brings that punishment, he wants people to repent. He wants people to turn away. He wants to relent from that punishment. He knows when he can, he knows when he can't. We know that God is disturbed when people have sinned and have been warned of consequences, but they refuse, they refuse to balance their ledgers with repentance. They refuse to repent. They refuse to say, I'm sorry, God. They refuse to say, I'm doing wrong, God. I am to be made right again in you. So God is, God is known as a God who does not allow evil to stay on the books, but balances it with either grace and mercy, or he brings punishment. The fact that God did not consider his creation a mistake is proved by the world's continuing exist, existence. We're still here. It says this. This is very important. Oh, blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Man, you, you, you have this entire world, this entire nation of this time, sinful, debauchery, that's all it is in their hearts, but yet one man steps, steps forward and says, no, I believe. He is counted as righteous. He is seen as righteous, and God says, I have found favor in you. I'm going to use you. So, as we go into this last kind of section, this, this 9 through 22, this is, this, is, this is Noah and all the instructions of the ark, okay? 9 through 22. We're going to find that faith in God and obedience to God proves righteousness. Faith in God and obedience to God proves righteousness. Right? No, Noah was counted as righteous man, blameless in his generation. It says this, verse 9, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So why was he considered righteous before God? Why was he considered that way and blameless? Because he walked with 
God. Not that complicated. Not that hard to grasp. He's not perfect. Noah's by far from perfect. We know that because of what happens after the flood and the ark. We know he's not perfect. Okay? He still makes mistakes and he still falters. But if you walk with God as Noah did, when you stumble, God is there to pick you up. God is there for you to rely on his strength, to rely on his guidance, to rely on his help. He is there with you. All Noah had to do to be counted as righteous was to have faith in God and be obedient. Say, I believe in you, God, and yes, I'm going to do as you ask me. Um, here's some New Testament examples. Hebrews 11.7. Hebrews 11.7 says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, 2 Peter 2.5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. But can the, can the same be said about you today? You know, one, if God looks at you, does, does he see righteousness? Because the only way that God looks at you and sees righteousness is if you've given yourself your life into the hands of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? that you can't save yourself from your sins, right? That you, that you can't pay the price for your sins. Only Jesus on the cross paid it for you. And we said, you're my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you. Please forgive me. I want to walk with you. You're washed clean by the blood. You're marked by the Holy Spirit. And when God looks at you, he sees his son's righteousness in you. You're sharing that inheritance. So one, are you seen of God in righteousness? Well, then two, does the world around you, do those around you see something different in you? Right? Can, can the world around you see something different where you live, where you work, where you play, that stands in opposition to the culture around you? Get all this stuff going on in Noah's day, just like today. Not all different than what we see today. There's nothing new under the sun. But yet Noah stood opposite from the culture and God counted him as righteous because he had faith and he believed and he obeyed. And we know that Noah did all that was commanded of him. And here's what was commanded of Noah. It says this in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their, their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of, the, of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through, the, through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark inside, uh, set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives, and you, oh, with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, 
You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So let's look at, let's say, for instance, the ark, okay? Uh, material, make it out of gopher wood. Um, let's say cover it with pitch. Put a roof on it. It's going to be raining. Put a roof on that thing, okay? Um, how big? Uh, the cubits is 450 feet long. Okay, so roughly a little over four, four football fields, 75 feet wide, 45 feet deep, and the total displacement would have been roughly 43,000 tons. Okay? But note the one thing that God did not tell him to put on there was a rudder and a sail. So two things, rudder and a sail. And those are pretty important for sailing on the water and getting to where you need to go. So this is basically saying, hey, you get in, I'm driving. I'll take care of you, says God. That's it. The, the time it took to build it. Some think it took 120 years. Why do they say 120 years? Well, that's the time limit that God gave man, Okay. Some, some think that that's when, when God said to Noah, right now I'm giving a man 120 years, so Noah, you have 120 years to build the ark. Okay? Um, others think it was 100 years due to the different ages Noah was from when he started building to when he finished and got in the ark. Okay? But Noah was, um, uh, uh, see, the truth is that there is no clear answer to what time frame it took to build the ark. He could have built it in two months, three months. Who knows? He could have built it in a year, Right? And he could have been waiting there and saying, where is this rain? Where's this rain coming, God? I still have faith it's coming, but uh, you know, uh, where is it? I mean, they're kind of starting to laugh at me a little bit over here. It doesn't matter. Right? I mean, I mean it, doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that Noah didn't hire people to come work on the ark with him. I mean, it could have been him, his three sons, and let's say uh, half the workers from down the street. And Noah, it says that Noah was proclaiming. He, he, was, he was a herald of righteousness. So he was proclaiming this flood coming. He was proclaiming this punishment of God coming. So he could be like, hey, yo, guys, this, this art we're building, just because the rains are coming, this flood's coming from God, and we're, we're all due for destruction. But no matter who he told, they're like, all right, no, we know you're good for the money, so we're here to, we're here to work, get the money, and, and to leave, okay? Just, just pay us, and we're good to go. And then who else was on the ark? Right? Noah, he put the animals on the ark by twosies, right? And Noah, he put them on the ark by twosies, by twosies. Okay, no, okay. Hey, y'all, y'all didn't go to Sunday school, okay? Okay, all right. So, all right. So God, so God led animals to Noah, to every kind, right? You have the male and the female, because after they get the dry land, they're going to make babies, okay? So you need a male and a female animal. Makes sense. Of every kind. All the birds there, all the creeping things on the earth, all the different things. He brought two of every kind to them, and they put them on the ark. And they had three stories and four, four, four football fields long places to put all these animals, okay? I put all the food on there for all them to eat, and for them to eat, and he had, uh, he had his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Okay? But we also forget that they actually had more pairs of what they call clean animals, right? Later on in chapter 7, it said, hey, Bring extra pairs of the clean animals, right? Those that are for sacrificing back to God, right? The ceremony of sacrifice is saying, hey, thank you, God. And also, you know what? For sending out the animals, uh, sending out the birds to try and find the dry land. So there's different things that aren't always touched on. But that's, that was all on the ark, as was commanded. Noah was also, t- uh, also took his family, right? 
And the Lord was going to create a new covenant, right? A new promise, but known as family. Saying, I, you, are, you are now the ones that are carrying the example of what it means to be a God follower. I'm your God. I am promising to be with you, walk with you, and all I ask for is faith and obedience. They will be the new start of the people who, who led by the Lord and are in worship of him and following his commands. But man, isn't it important that we know that last verse of chapter 6? Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Did all. No matter the, the joking he might have heard, no matter the humiliation he might have been facing, no matter the uh, people who, who hear Noah and his sons saying, hey, we're going to be saved by God in this ark. Well, what makes you better than me? You, you all high and mighty. Right? No, matter, no matter what it is, they stayed true to God, following what he commanded and did all that God asked them to do. So as in the, New, in the New Testament, as Jesus pointed out to his followers and the people around him that they were living in the time of Noah, we are still today. We are still waiting for something to come and set that ledger straight. You know, either, either a great movement of the Spirit or honestly, some punishment. We have the, we have the hope of Jesus, right, and, and, and his death on the cross and his blood that was spilled and paid for our sins so that we can be reconciled, we can be brought back into the glory of God, be made right in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus. But we still live in a fallen and broken world. It is still a challenge for us to walk with God and be seen in his righteousness. Is that, that's a big thing. Noah was known for walking with God. So are we walking with God today? Are we keeping our heads down when we see the debauchery and lostness around us? When we see adultery, when we see families being broken, when we see drugs, when we see uh, affirming of different kinds of lifestyles that are against the Bible? Are, are, we, are we fueling the, the, the apathetic mindset towards a spiritual relationship with God? Are we affirming and glorifying the consumer and victim mindset and lifestyle? Are we saying, well, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or make them feel unsafe, so I'm just going to stay in my lane and not, not say anything? Are we living as though we are like the people in Noah's time, deserving of punishment because we are not willing to repent or stand for the truth of God and be obedient? Or are we willing to show that we're not like a bunch of church of cowards? Are we willing to be that lone person, if needed, to be that one person in a hundred? Are we willing to stand up and say no to the world? So that I believe in the Holy Scriptures that are true and without error. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that I am saved by my faith through the grace of God, through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. I am willing and ready to stand for the truth and proclaim it through all I say and all that I do where I work, where I, where, I, where I live, where I work and I play. Which one are we? Walking with God or keeping our head down? So overall, the kind of closing remark and statement to, to get from this section, 
We need to stand firm in the truth of God's word amongst the corruption of the world so that his righteousness may be seen and spread to the lost and the needy. Don't walk with your heads down. Don't be a bunch of church or cowards. Let us stand proud and loud and say what we believe and live out what we believe in Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park.